The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. God is incredible. His timing and his sovereignty is amazing. So for... um, We've had on the, on the schedule to do this series, Become and Build Fully Committed Followers of Jesus, for a couple months uh, in January, and had an outline, and we're ready to go. And here's what's been so fun for me. We've also been planning on doing this Bible reading thing through, uh, through January, and, and I, I, every week this month, before I get up to preach, God showed me something in John, in our daily Bible reading that we've been doing that puts the icing on the cake for what he'd already been beginning to show that where God wants to take us. Is that, like, that's so cool. And in my, in my reading this week, in, in John chapter 8, listen, this was my personal reading. This is, this is what happens. Sometimes I do my personal reading, and then I go like, whoa, God speaks to me. And then I start preparing a message. And I'm like, yep, that was it. That, that was it. And this, that happened to me this week. And I want to share something with you that's so, so good. I'm gonna, we're going to turn to John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn, them, uh, turn to page John chapter 8. <laughs> or for other of your Bibles, turn them on and click to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Basically what's going on here, there's a story at the beginning, but then uh, starting in verse 12, we see this this Jesus teaching the crowds. And so uh, like there is many times, some in the crowd are very antagonistic to his message. Some in the crowd are very welcoming to his message. And this is is just one of those situations. In fact, he gets a lot of pushback. He got some people challenging him verbally, just pushing back on what what he's saying, all this kind of stuff. But it says there were some who did believe in him. And the message that he's preaching right here is, I am the son of God who forgives sins. Kind of like a foundational gospel message, right? This is foundational stuff. I am the son of God who takes away sins. Okay, so there's a lot of, a lot of pushback going on. And I'm going to jump in, in in John chapter 8, verse 30. And it says this, even as he spoke, many believed in him. So we're talking good old-fashioned outdoor tent revival service kind of stuff, right? Jesus is preaching to the crowds. I'm the son of God. Uh, I am from God, and, and I forgive sins. And many believed in him. Hallelujah, this is good. Verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, believed him, Jesus said. Okay, so I don't know exactly how he differentiated that. I don't know if he was just like, okay, and then he just addressed it, or if, if he just kept on teaching until the antagonist kind of like slipped out the back. But, but one way or another, you get this picture that he's teaching all of them, and many people gathered around, and they're believing him, and they stuck around to the end, or maybe he called them over. I don't know how it worked, but then he leaned in a little bit and said, okay, for those of you who did believe, let me give you a little extra. Okay, this is the, this is the PS. This is, this is the one step further. Those who are, are here, one, those you've, put, you, you've believed in me, let me, let me tell you how this is going to go down from here. To those who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That seems straightforward, right? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. What does that mean? Does it mean like his teaching? Sometimes translations say, like, uh, are faithful to or committed in, right? This is not believing in. Sorry, at first it was like, do you believe in Jesus? Step one, believe Jesus. 
They checked that box. Now Jesus was introducing to them the next step. He says, if you hold to these teachings, in other words, if you apply them, if you live them out, if you walk in these things, if you do what I'm talking about, then you'll be my disciple. You can't say I'm a disciple, which literally means I'm a learner and follower of. If you just believe that he is the son of God, that's great. If you just believe in the son of God and he takes away sins, that's fantastic too. But James tells us that the devil believes that Jesus is the son of God and that he takes away sins. So hey, we got something in common with the devil. Um, Okay, but Jesus is saying, well, no, 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 that's a, that, that's a wonderful place to start. I'm not down, at, like, yeah, you should believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he takes away sins, but he says, that's not the end of the journey. That's just the first step. And Jesus leans in a little bit and he says, listen, if you are really my disciples, you hold to my teaching, which, which implies what? That if, if you don't hold to my teachings, then you're not really my disciple. Who? That doesn't sit as well as saying it the other way, <laughs> right? Like that, that, that ought to make all of us just kind of like sit up a little bit and like, oh, oh. I mean, I don't, I don't want to just be a believer. I want to be a follower. Belief is a great first step, but it was never intended to be the last step. And that's what we've been talking about the last two weeks, right? That this, it's all about following Jesus, and following Jesus is not all about in the intellectual belief and accurate truths. It's about actually getting up and follow him. It's about, it's about shifting our lives and our lifestyles around the teaching and the attitude of Jesus. So do you really want to follow me? Here we go. Okay, that's just the beginning. I don't want to get caught up too far there. But what's so fun about this is, is, is there's this progression in this passage that he keeps adding things on, and it's almost like there's a chronological, because look at some of the next word, then. Now, maybe in your Bible it doesn't say then, but trust me, it's still chronological. Look at this. Then you will know the truth. So even if it says, your, says but you will, or, and, or sorry, and you will know, will know means after, means th- it's future. It's like first you believe Jesus, then you follow Jesus, and after following, then you will know. And you will know. It comes after. This is so interesting because maybe you, this is your story. Maybe you've run into these people that like you have, they have a big hang up on following Jesus because of the truth piece. Like I have to be able to explain every instance in all of human history to make sure I understand how the word of God is 100% biblically, historically accurate. Okay, I'm not saying look the other way. I'm just saying that's a big task. Okay. What you'll find is the more you study it, the more you're going to find it. There's people who say, I can't buy into this Jesus thing until I figure out every scientific uh, mystery of the universe. Good luck. But what Jesus says is this, is that first you believe me, then you follow me, and then you will know the truth. Okay, I'm going to be interactive here. I want you to show a hands here in just a moment, not yet, but in just a moment. I want you to tell me if, if, if this storyline connects with your story at all. You know, there's some who, who, who've heard, before salvation, heard tons of true things about God. The Son of God thing, died on the cross stuff, like all the true 
stuff about God and you heard it and you heard it and you heard it and you heard it or maybe you heard it once or twice or you heard it and maybe it wasn't delivered really well maybe it was delivered just fine but it wasn't coming through like you'd heard all the Jesus things maybe your whole life or maybe for a little while but then there was that moment where you just like you know what I'm taking this step I'm, I'm following I'm you know what I think I believe this thing and I'm gonna take a step to follow and the moment you took that step to follow and by or, or maybe the week or maybe the month or maybe the year but as you began to follow all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb of truth came on. And now all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, all these things that people have been saying all along, they're actually true. And I, I mean, my whole perspective shifts and I see things differently. How many say that in your spiritual journey, that something along those lines connect with your story? Let me see your hand. Look at all those hands. Do you know why that's so consistent? Because Jesus said that's how it works. We believe in him. We follow him. And then you'll know the truth. Man, isn't that so good? But it doesn't end there either. And then he says, and the truth will set you free. This is the part that I think, um, I'll be honest, this is the part just for me. I, I'm not going to uh, assess anybody else, but this is the part for me that had been tricky for me for a really long time. Because my, my natural response, my immediate response to this, and you will be set free, is forgiveness. Right? I'll be set free. What are we set free from? We're set free from sin. Right? That's a, that's a Sunday school answer. Jesus sets us free. I'm going to be set free from sin. And so I need to be set free from sin. Sin is my, right? And, and so what we see, when, when, what I heard for many, many years, when, when Jesus would talk about freedom, he who the sun sets free is, is truly free. It says actually just a little bit later. Um, he who the Son has forgiven is truly forgiven. But here's the interesting thing. One, if that's what Jesus meant, first of all, wouldn't he have said that? If that's exclusively what he was talking about. Okay, he does use a lot of metaphorical stuff, so maybe, maybe not. But here's the other thing. There is a very clear progression in this spiritual, um, spiritual journey map that Jesus gives us. Believe, follow, know the truth, set free. If set free means forgiven, we all know that we're forgiven here, right? Is forgiveness dependent on our, even our willingness to follow? Or if you believe that you're for, so could it be, I'm just, just, just track with me for a minute. Could it be that when Jesus talks about freedom that he wants to give us, I'm not saying he's not talking about forgiveness, but could it be that he's talking about more than just forgiveness? I believe so many spiritual truths that we experience in life come in layers. That we experience one layer, and then we're like, yeah, I got it. Man, I know God's love for me. Man, I, I've lived apart from God's love for so long. I know it so well. And then just when you're like, man, I got this thing down, and then all of a sudden, God pours out in a new scenario. His love for us, you're like, what? It got better than what I knew? And sometimes it's like, man, God has called me to trust, and I'm not sure I can do it. But whew, I'm going to take that step of faith, I'm going to trust, and wow, God is trustworthy, man. I can trust him for anything. Yeah, and he lets us sit there for a while and enjoy that. And then he's like, hey, I want you to trust me here. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. 
and we got to learn trust all over again. I believe that so many of our spiritual truths that, that Christ invites us into come in layers, and I believe this freedom thing is a part of that. Okay. So let's, let's track together here for a little bit. There's certain truths, biblical truths, that that we as Christians regularly um, talk out of both sides of our mouth. And I know that has a real negative connotation, but like we say one thing here, but then we say another thing over here, and they're inconsistent, but as long as we keep them apart, we never really have to address the fact that they're inconsistent. Like this. Uh, God... Only, like God doesn't just look on the outside, he looks on the heart, right? It is the heart that matters, not just the actions. Anybody giving an amen to that? Right? How about this one? Paul says that um, in your anger, do not sin. So I can burn with anger as long as I just kind of like keep the cap on the volcano, you know what I'm saying? And as long as I can keep from just attacking people, then that lifestyle of perpetual anger that I don't let seep out is just fine because in my anger, I'm not sinning. Do you see how you can't hold with any authenticity both of those views simultaneously? In one hand, you say it's not just about the action, and the other hand says as long as I control the action, then my heart's fine. Now, we take that case study with, with anger, and then we apply it to everything else. I can burn with lust, but if I don't act on it. I can be overwhelmed with bitterness, but as long as I don't lash out. I can be wrecked with depression, but at least I don't let it rub off on other people. I can live an absolutely miserable Christian life, praise Jesus, and I'm not going to hurt anybody. That's hard to hear because we don't know what to do with it. So we keep our truths from ever touching. question is, do we think, do we really believe what Jesus says? I believe that if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that he raised him from the dead, that I'm saved, I believe it. I believe that, that if I ask for forgiveness, he gives it to me once and for all. I believe that no one can separate me from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor principalities nor anything in all of heaven and earth will separate me. I, I believe these things. Well, let me ask you this one. Do you believe this, that when Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'm going to give you rest? When he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Do you believe him when he says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? That one's harder to believe because it's harder to experience. Right? At best, 
at best, for so many of us, at best, we're going like, I can take moments of reprieve from the heaviness in the presence of God, but the moment I get up from the presence of God, I put it all back on. So what do you do with that? What about, what about John 10, 10 again? That I've come that you'd have life, you'd have it to the fullest. Honestly, I believe that, that Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 is, is really just the explanation, a piece of the explanation of John 10, 10. He came that you'd have rich and full life. Jesus didn't come so you'd have eternal life someday. He came that you'd have the fullness of life today. But why are so many Christians not living in it? Why does that burden? How, how, about, how about Paul? How about Galatians chapter 5? I'm going to verses that we use all the time, but I, but I hope we can just take them literally. He says, he says, I've heard the fruit of the Spirit taught on so many times as attributes to strive for. Now, is there room to work on certain things in our lives? Yes. Okay. But that's not what Galatians 5, 21, 22 says. What it says, it's the byproduct of a life lived with the Spirit of God. Right? So which means if all of us are, are following Jesus to that capacity and experiencing the richness of the life that God offers, the, the living water that we talked about last week that makes us never have to be dry and lifeless ever again. If we're living that life, then the natural byproduct is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yet, at best, so many of us are going like, if I can just love for one moment today, then I'm going to be good. What? Why? How? It doesn't make any sense, does it? Anybody else feel this tension or have felt this tension or lived this tension or buried this tension a decade ago? I want to propose something to you. I want to propose something to you. I want to propose that Jesus' perspective is a little more clear than yours. I'm going to propose that when Jesus gives us this kind of this pattern for the Christian life, first believe, then follow, then know the truth, then find freedom, that maybe, maybe there's some things that God wants to set you free from today. Maybe there's some things in your life that, that, that you've been tied to, <laughs> or maybe you feel like have been tied to you. Forgiveness is great. Have you ever done that thing? You know that thing that you tend to do? And you go to God, and you're like, God, I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry. I can't imagine you're even going to forgive me because I did it again. And last week I said I was so sorry about this again, and I did it again, and I don't even know how you can, anybody's been there before, right? And I'm like, God, I'm sorry. And you ask for forgiveness, and you finally talk yourself into the fact that Jesus is going to forgive you, but then you get up, and you're like, I have no confidence whatsoever that anything changed at all. I'm going to be right back here again next week. I'm just going to propose something to you. That is not God's plan for your life. And you don't have to wait until you see Jesus face to face to find victory and freedom in that area of your life or any area of your life. There's another verse of scripture that has is, that is commonly um, confused me for a lot of years until maybe recent. 
in, in James chapter 5 or 16 or something towards the end. He says this, it's really interesting. He says, um, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be forgiven. No, anybody know what it says? Healed. That's interesting to me. Like I, if I'm going to confess my sins and ask for prayer, it's, it's so that I would be forgiven, right? But could it be that Jesus, or that James, brother of Jesus, he had he'd figured out some of this freedom stuff himself? Could it be that, that God's intention is not only to forgive you, but to heal you? That, that when Jesus says, the truth will set you free, could it be that there is, there is a possibility in life with Christ that those things can be healed? You know, here's, here's, here's something that the hardest part is that we don't even, so often we don't even see them. I think we've been given a lot of great examples. Let me, let me, let me give some really, really good examples for us. Um, some of us, uh, spent some extended time with family over the holidays that we just had, right? Right? Who loves, who loves spending time with their family? And I love spending time with my family. Who also loves when everybody goes back to their own home, right? Okay, yeah, we, right? And I, I say that in jest. I love my family. I love spending time with them. But here, here's the deal. When, when you spend extended periods of time like Thanksgiving or Christmas or New Year's with, with people that you don't normally do that with, especially the closest ones to you who know exactly what to say to push your buttons. Here's the thing. Let me, let me help us identify some things. Some of you are wrong. Okay, I don't even know. Okay, yeah, sure, I have some sin issues, but it's more than just the perpetual sin. That's where we go to, the action of sin. But, but it's so much deeper rooted than that. If, it, if, if it's not just about the action, but it is truly the fact that God sees the heart, could it be that there is a way that God would heal us so that we don't respond like we so often respond when your mother-in-law makes that passive-aggressive comment that makes everything in you just want to scream? <laughs> Glory to God, I'm going to put a smile on my face. I'm going to kill her with kindness. I hate that I have to put kindness in there. I just, <laughs> um, I heard a, <clears throat> I saw a, a, a meme this week that some said, sometimes I just, I just have to let God take care of it. Because if I took care of it, I'd end up in jail. Okay, so like some of you know, right? Some of you can identify with that, right? And uh, here's the deal. You know what those things are, or maybe you don't. <laughs> but you've noticed that every time that an authority figure tells you no, that volcano begins to shake. Hey, but I'm really, I've learned I'd keep the lid on. You know, when, when, when your parent tells you something to do that you're already going to do and you just felt so small? When your spouse withholds intimacy and you're just like, well, I don't understand. When that best friend 
says that thing that you don't get, when anyone ever says anything that is different than what you think, and all of a sudden, this like, the fix them thing comes. For some, even this, still, this, this masks and the mandate thing, so. For others, <laughs> you get worked up, like you can't, and it's anger and depression and fear and anxiety and all the things, and it's not because of the mandates, it's because of the people who are getting worked up over the mandates. made a statement a year ago that the, the tests that we fail are always the tests that you take again. And some of those, it's what's going on right now in society. For others, it's what happened at your house last Christmas. For others, it's that thing that your boss said to you. But what are the things, the internal things, that you go, you know what? I don't think that reflects Jesus. Could it be that God doesn't want you to put a lid on it? But he wants to heal that very thing that's causing all of that to leak out? Now listen, some of you, you you might turn me off right here, right away, and that's all right, but I'm going to speak to those who want to listen. Like there's some of you, you've suffered a wound somewhere in your life all the way back from a kid. You may not even known about it. Somebody said something to you that sent a wall up and that wall has been there for five decades. And now you don't even see it as a wall, it's just life. For some of you, you've been hurt in certain ways that you've made an internal vow in your own heart that I will never be hurt like that again. Some of you, based on your own personality, and here, I'll tell you what, God's shown me some things in my life, and this, based on my own personality, I, I've had an easy life, I had things good, but based on just my own wirings, there was just some grooves that were built into my habits in the way of not only doing, but the way of thinking that caused me and led me down unhealthy patterns in life that, that really ended up being a kind of wound in my own heart that God needed to heal. It wasn't traumatic. It was personality-driven. And I was like, ah, oh, that's just psychology. No, no, no. Do we believe that God cares about the heart? Here, the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth other than Jesus, which is what the Bible says, Solomon, put it this way, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. So before we quickly dismiss issues of the heart, let's be careful that we're looking at Scripture appropriately. I'll tell you personally, the greatest thing that I learned in the last two years is how to accurately identify the condition of my own heart. And I wish it was because somebody stood up on a stage and said, you should do this, but it was not it. There were way more tears involved. There was way more heartache involved. There was way more processing things I wanted to forget involved. The reality is God cares about those wounded places in your heart. He cares about those. And this is what's happening. When we're wounded, 
it forms insecurities in us, doesn't it? And, and, and they show up in so many different ways. Sometimes it's the obvious insecurities, the depression and the shrinking back. Sometimes those insecurities are, 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 are more aggressive in nature and lashing out and getting strong and defensive. But those insecurities oftentimes come from a, something in our hearts that is off. And we can willpower our way through it to a degree, but willpower alone falls short. It is only through the power of the Holy Spirit and the healing that Jesus provides. Now here's the thing that I've, I'm learning is that freedom uh, is a process. A process that has significant moments. There are moments that I can look at in my life and say, man, God set me free from some things right here. But that doesn't mean I'm all done. <laughs> having to get up in front of my friends and share a mask mandate that people are going to disagree on on both sides illustrated that for me this week. <laughs> Dang! Still passing the test. I'm still moving forward. Okay? But things are going to happen. And all of a sudden, we've got, and, 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 and we've got to learn how to identify. I'm going to just give you a few things just to think on. If you want to write them down, this might help you later. So one, the first thing we need to do is we need to learn to identify the condition of your heart. Identify the condition of your heart. When all that negative crud comes up, you've got to stop justifying it. See, that's what we do. We, we, we call things righteous anger. That is such self-deception. You can say, oh, Jesus had righteous anger. Okay, Jesus also was an all-sovereign God. Okay, uh, let's compare apples to apples. Read all of scripture about anger. It's always something we're supposed to let go of. But it's not just the anger stuff. When you notice an overwhelming wave of depression, that ought to be a trigger for you. And it, it, doesn't, it, it, it takes a tr training and discipline, but to be able to step back and say, God, not God, why? But God, whoa, what just happened? This, that's not from you. When somebody says something and, and bitterness, just like, that's a sign, guys. We need to learn how to identify the condition of our heart. We have to learn how to be able to step back from it. And I get it. We're not going to just like perfectly do this all in one day, right? But we need to learn to identify like that was not from God. I'm not going to justify that anymore. I'm not going to say why I feel this way because I am justified in doing so because some holy notion God doesn't give all these negative emotions to back up holy action, right? So we need to learn to identify the conditions of our hearts. Insecurities may want to make us defensive. But we got to learn to say, God, whoa, 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 what was that? Where'd that anger come from? Where'd that, where'd that wave of sadness even come? Is sadness a sin? No, but, but if there's a trigger that continues to make me like shrink back into sadness that leads to depression, then we should, we should ask God, because guess what? God cares about the conditions of your heart. When those things, when, 
they, they flood. And sometimes you'll know, I, I know exactly what it was. It was because that person keeps saying, that's not where it came from. Because Jesus didn't feel that when those persons said that to him. A heart filled with the Holy Spirit and walking in him on a regular basis. A, light, a heart that's been healed of our past wounds and even the current wounds that we keep on facing. A, 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 a heart that is so surrendered to Jesus that we've been healed and set free. Anyone can say anything to me and I can walk in peace and love and joy. If you can say something to me that takes away my peace, my love, and my joy, then it wasn't really peace or love or joy the way that Christ intended. Because nothing can take that from me. So the moment you want to say, the reason I feel the way that I feel is because of those people, we are deceiving ourselves, friends. Guard your heart, which means we have to be able to take responsibility for even the emotions that we feel. Again, we're not trying to find blame, but we're just trying to identify, God, what was it in there? And usually what it's going to be is God's going to begin to show you some things. So the second thing I want to say is process the conditions of your heart in prayer. First, we've got to identify the condition of our heart. We've got to learn how to, when those things rise up inside of us, that we can identify those for what they are, and then we have to process the conditions of our heart in prayer. We've been really driving home this like daily time with the Lord, and Bible reading is good and, and prayer is good, but there's some of you that you need to, in your time with the Lord, either later today or tomorrow morning, the next time you stand with the Lord, you need to just take inventory like, God, there's these things that have been coming up, and just in prayer, God, God what is it? what is it in me? Or why do I keep responding this way? And sometimes there's not a super clear answer. Sometimes it's just like time in prayer, time in worship, time in his word. And a lot of times this processing takes time. If you're going to like, I'm going to have a two-minute time with the Lord, and I'm going to find all the revelation of all of Scripture and all of my life. Like, it's just not going to work that way. You've got to be willing to sit with it and say, God, I hurt right now. And I don't know why I feel the way that I feel. God, will you show, show me? You know, we love to quote the verse where, you know, the psalmist says, see if there be any wicked way in me. But sometimes we outsource that responsibility to God alone. <laughs> we need to sit down and say, God, what? <laughs> where's this coming from? And he'll show you. So we've got to identify the conditions of our heart. We've got to process the conditions of our heart in prayer. And three, we need to share the condition of your heart with others. And this is the part that nobody, oh, actually, nobody likes any of this. Let's just call it like it is. Nobody, nobody likes any of this. I'd rather just pretend that we can just believe right things and then just move forward. Uh, but we don't, this is hard work. This is painful work. But God cares about not just your actions, but your heart. Do you believe that? Okay, let's engage that. Third one, share the condition of your heart with others. So here's what I mean by others. Like, first of all, spiritually mature friends who won't just dismiss it. So often our, our, our default, our knee-jerk reaction is like, I'm gonna share some of these things with people who are going to affirm me and tell me it's nothing and that I ought to feel that way. Those are not the friends you need to talk to about that. You, you can have those friends, just th those are not the right people. You need to be, you need to share this with somebody who's gonna have the courage to look at you and say, here's what I see. And well, I didn't see that, but you know what? I'm gonna help keep you accountable in that. And some of you, like if you're really struggling, I can't even identify, like I'm overwhelmed with these things and, and this fear or anxiety or the stress or this bitterness or this anger or this loneliness or this whatever it might be, these things that are constantly on our front doorstep and we don't know how to process it, you might need to talk to somebody who is in some sort of spiritual leadership. Um, 
And, and again, it doesn't have to be an official position, but somebody who is a, a mentor type in your life. Whether it's one of our pastors or elders, whether it's a, a professional counselor, we've got some resources that we can point you, some directions, some recommendations. But um, friends, your heart matters. Solomon said, above all else, guard your heart. And I don't know where it happened, but it, just, it, it, it has just seeped into modern church culture that we, we say, above all, art, above all else, guard our morality. And we're dealing with issues on the surface. Be moral, okay? Don't do bad things. Do good things, okay? Let's, we're, we're on that page, right? But when we start there, we never get down to it. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Even the ones who believed him said, how can, how can we, I don't know what you mean, how can we be set free? We're not even slaves. He said, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Like this is, I, I realize that in addressing heart issues, this pulls up some like, oh, stuff that we don't want to see. But here's the deal. Here is the icing on the cake. Here's how it ends. You don't have to stay there. Now, it doesn't mean we can bury it, and it doesn't mean we can just ignore it, but as we bring it up and we, and we say, God, here's not just my actions. God, here's not just my lifestyle choices. God, here are my wounds. Or God, here's, here's the, I don't even know what, where this wound is coming from, but here's just the, the, the gross stuff that's oozing from the dark places in my heart. Oh, that sounds disgusting, doesn't it? But if we saw it, it would look even worse. <laughs> And he says, oh, I got you. Hey, follow me, and I'll show you truth, and the truth will set you free. And we find freedom. And then he says, hey, I've got more freedom for you. You want it? All right, come. Hey, come follow me over here, and I'll show you some truth that you never saw before, and I'm going to set you free. The question is, do we believe him? Do we believe that Jesus cares more about our morality that he cares about our heart. You know, the last, the last thing I've got here today is this. You know, the, the theme today was supposed to be become and build, and I had every intention to focus on the build. We've been talking about becoming followers of Jesus, becoming followers of Jesus. We need to go build the kingdom. We need to go be a light in the darkness. We need to go tell people about Jesus. But here's the thing. I've preached so many sermons about, like, go evangelize your neighborhood, and no one ever really does it. I'm just going to be honest, Okay. <laughs> That wasn't supposed to be a downer. Like, I it's just like. And here's what I believe is because if you've been truly set free, you won't be able to keep your mouth shut. The people I know who've experienced true freedom in Christ, they will tell people about it. The people who have tr experienced true freedom, Guess what? They know unity because it's, it's when, we've, when we're holding on to those, those wounds, when we're holding on to those, those dark places, what we do is it, inevitably insecurities rise up. And you know what insecurities build? Walls. 
And what was the only evangelistic strategy? Okay, I shouldn't say only anytime I'm talking about the Bible because I don't have it memorized yet, okay? The one evangelistic strategy that I can think that Jesus taught uh, and, and then also that, that was practiced in Acts chapter 2. Do you know what the evangelistic strategy was? It wasn't the Romans road. Uh, it, it wasn't a, an evangelistic program. You know what it was? It was unity. Unity is the greatest evangelistic strategy. But the problem is, is we're, we're Christians who are satisfied with forgiveness and not freedom. Our insecurities rise up. They form walls around us, and we look awfully divided. This is what Jesus says. He's sitting around the table with his disciples right before he goes to the cross, hours before. And he says, it's a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So, so you must love one another at, by this love for one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then, maybe an hour or two later, maybe a little longer, that same evening, Jesus begins to pray. He says, I pray for those who will believe in me through the message of those who are with him then. The 12. So basically, he's talking about us. Pray for those who will believe in their message. That's us. Jesus prays for you. He prays for me. He prays for Crossroads Church, and this is what he prays. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So we're talking about Trinity stuff here. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is Jesus' strategy, evangelistic strategy for the world, is that we would learn to love one another in such unity that the divided world would look on and say, what is going on there? I've never seen anything like it. He goes on, he says, I have, I, I have then... I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, he says it again, then the world will know that you sent me and I've loved them even as you have loved me. I get that we're all broken people. We, we talk about this and are all things new. Like we're all broken people. And I'm not talking about perfection. Really, the spiritual life is not really about perfection. It's about direction, right? But as long as we're satisfied with forgiveness and crutching along through this physical world until someday we reach glory, we're never going to taste, at least on this earth, the fullness of life that Jesus came to offer us. But if we're willing to say, like, I... Jesus says, the word says, that he cares more about our heart than our actions. He cares about our actions, but he cares more about the heart. Are we willing to surrender that to him? Those are vulnerable places that nobody's touched for a long time for some of us. Are we willing to say, God, these, these, these wounds need to be healed. I'm willing to invite other people into this process because I want to taste of the freedom that Jesus has to offer. But he's going to invite you into a process that might sting a little. Are you willing to follow him beyond the external? Are you willing to listen to the words of Solomon and guard your heart above all else and surrender that to Jesus as well and say, God, here I am. I don't, I don't even know why I do the things that I do. God, I'm broken. One of the greatest revelations that I've 
received over the course of the last year is, is that I don't just need a savior because I've done bad things. I need a savior because my whole wiring is off. And I need to surrender my heart regularly to him and say, God, I don't understand why I'm thinking the way that I'm thinking. I don't understand why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. I don't understand why I'm hurting the way I'm hurting. But God, you just need to heal my heart. And he'll walk you through that. And friends, if there, you're going to find freedom and hope and life and something new. And you will taste and see that the Lord is good. Father God, I praise you and I thank you that you are not an externally fix-it-on-the-outside type of God. God, that you made every aspect of who we are mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you've called us to surrender all of it to you. God, for all my friends who are just tired Tired of the emotional roller coaster, tired of the ups and the downs, tired of the instability, tired of feeling like I'm getting tossed all over the place, tired of being tired. God, we invite your freedom to come and heal us. God, wash us in truth. We might see what we've not seen before. Father, I pray for some of my friends who are here today who, who know exactly, like there's just instantly on the forefront of their mind what the healing, what needs to be healed. For, Father, I pray for the courage to move forward, to seek you, to let go of control, to allow you to do the healing work that needs to take place, that they would find the freedom and the wholeness that you offer, that you promise. Father, I pray for my friends who are blinded to those things and, and, and just can't see. And God, even, even in sincerity, God, I've been there. In sincerity, God, show me what it is. But God, would you, would you begin to open eyes today? For those who genuinely want to see change, for those who genuinely want to see you heal some things in their life to bring freedom that we've never known, God, would you, would you open eyes to see clearly, Father? Would you speak to our hearts? God, this is your work. Father, I pray for those who've never put their faith and their trust in you to even start with. And they know they need more than belief. They need to to make that choice to follow. Give them courage to make the greatest decision they're going to make. Truth is, God, we all need more of you. God, each of us, give us courage to follow you into places deeper than we've gone before. Forgive us of the, the self-righteous justification that creeps up so easily because we know all the Bible verses. God, would you heal our hearts? May freedom reign here that Lincoln, Nebraska would look at Crossroads Church and say there's something different about those people. 
God, we're going to pray. We're going to declare it, Lord. You send revival, but we're not going to be so arrogant that we're going to think that it's going to start with the world. God, you want to start by healing our own hearts, by breathing new life into us, by setting us free from things that we've been bound to for so long. God, may revival start in us. May the healing start in us. God, may we not ever need another go reach the lost sermon again because we are so convinced of the healing and the freedom that's taking place in our lives, God, that we can't keep quiet about it anymore. But God, you gotta do a real work in us. God, I pray for humility for each of us to receive what you're speaking to us today. In your name we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.